Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Welcome to Life and Art from FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and this is our Friday chat show. Today, for our final episode of the year, we are talking about Wonka, the new family film about the early life of the infamous Willie. The film is, of course, inspired originally by Roald Dahl's books, most notably Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It is the third film in the Wonka universe. It stars Timothy Chalamet as a young Willy Wonka looking to open his first chocolate factory in the big city and facing a cartel of local evil chocolatiers in his way. Ladies and gentlemen of the gallery gourmet, my name is Willy Wonka. He's good. Too good. Pretty sure I've gained about 150 pounds in the last two weeks. You could change her life, Mr. Walker. Change all their lives. It is a musical with a number of original songs, and it's directed by Paul King, who also did Paddington. So today we'll be talking about what we thought about the film, and let's just get into it. Joining me in New York is our golden ticket herself. <laughs> The FT's U.S. investment correspondent, also a regular culture writer for FT Weekend, the great Madison Derbyshire. Hi, Madison. Hi, Lila. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And from London, the music maker, the dreamer of dreams, it's our house and home editor, Nathan Brooker. (laughs) Hi, Nathan. Welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. I'm done with puns. I would love to get into it. Top line, I'm curious from both of you how we feel about the film. Nathan, let's start with you. How did you feel? Did you come in wanting to like it? Did you like it? What did you think? I didn't come in wanting to like it. I came in not wanting to like it and being <laughs> slightly annoyed that it had been made. Uh, Shocked. But, you know, uh, you mentioned it's directed by Paul King. It's co-written by Paul King and Simon Farnaby, which is the team behind Paddington. And really, it's a lot more like Paddington than anything else. I thought it was yeah. very funny. I thought it was very charming. There were these some wonderful little cameos from much-loved British comedians and actors. And it kind of won me over, I have to say. Nice. What about you, Madison? That's so interesting that you thought it reminded you of Paddington because I, my biggest qualm, I guess, is Paddington is a movie that has a very clear moral message. And I think all of Roald Dahl's books are parables. But I, I left kind of feeling a little bit like the film was trying to cover a lot of ground. And it didn't have that same, like, very clear moral backbone that Paddington did. And that that I was really craving. But what I actually found most interesting about the version with Timothée, or Timothy, <laughs> is um, it, I felt like it was actually a lot more in conversation with the original, like, Mel Stewart. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory rather than the book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So it was more in conversation with the 1971 version than with the book. Exactly. And there were actually a lot of like very deliberate transplants from that film into this film. And so I was just curious about why they felt so strongly about doing the prequel almost for the movie version rather than 
Roald Dahl's book version of Willy Wonka. I think that's an interesting point. To be honest, I don't quite see that there's this great chasm between the 71 version and the book. I know that Dahl himself kind of hated it and hated Gene Wilder. But I think in tone, it's it's rather like the novel in in certain respects i mean the world mm-hmm. the world of of this new wonka is it's it's a little bit german it's a little bit kind of like prague it's a bit like paris but mm-hmm. it's sort of built on this sort of sea of rapacious capitalism and i think Dahl <laughs> would have very much appreciated that there's a moment when wonka young wonka <laughs> gets fined 3 sovereigns for daydreaming now that very much feels in in spirit of the of of the book and it's this place which mm-hmm. is kind of populated by villains and gargoyles and there's a corrupt chief of police. I mean, I think Dahl would like all of this stuff. There's a fat joke in it. Dahl would definitely like that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into that a little bit because this is a story that has been told and retold a ton of times. So we just mentioned the original Roald Dahl book that's from 1964 and then the 1971 movie, the first movie that features Gene Wilder. Both of those are total children's classics. Then there's also a pretty dark 2005 version made by Tim Burton. That's the one starring Johnny Depp. Madison, can you set us up for this whole Willy Wonka world, like for anyone who hasn't read the book or watched the movies? So Willy Wonka, we learn in the Charlie and Chocolate Factory book, Uh is the greatest chocolatier of all time. Mm -hmm. He makes things that explode the mind, delight the senses. And he's also a huge mystery. Right. Nobody knows anything about who he is as a person. He's truly eccentric when we do meet him. Mm -hmm. And this movie... Wonka, in 2023, is the origin story of that man. Right. And so we meet Timothy Chalamet's Wonka, kind of when he's coming back from years of exploration, heading to this place that he's dreamed about his entire life to open a chocolate shop. And we see that he has the potential to do that, except he runs into the physical embodiment of capitalism, which is the (laughs) chocolate cartel that's like skimming chocolate off the top in this giant vault. And there's a lot of humor in that. Yeah. Um, and is sort of in cahoots with the chief of police. And, and is in cahoots with the chief of police who has a sweet tooth that, right. is, that is weaponized. And I have feelings about that. <laughs> and then I think they borrow very heavily right. from Les Miserables <laughs> and have a whole master of the house, innkeeper and her <laughs> husband slash partner. Yeah. Trust. yeah, Nathan, do you want to jump in and explain the inn very briefly and the characters there? Uh, the inn is controlled by... Uh, Olivia Coleman and Tom Davis, and they're these two absolute dull characters. They're these <laughs> gargoyles. And there's this wonderful kind of homage to the 1971 film where Gene Wilder gets them to sign this contract before they enter the chocolate factory. Well, here, there's a long contract that uh, Olivia Coleman gets Timothy Chalamet to sign, and he's kind of tricked into indentured servitude. And he has to kind of work his way out. And he gets the other people that are the the kind of the indentured servants alongside him to create a chocolate shop in spite of the efforts of the cartel to crush his little chocolatey dreams. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. so just to make it clear, so that is a reversal. Like in the originals, Willy Wonka is the one that has indentured (laughs) servants. He has the Oompa Loompas, which are these little gnome-like workers. They're like orange faces, green hair, paid in chocolate. But then there's this other reversal, too, which is that, at least with the films, Willy Wonka, as an adult, he, like, doesn't really like children. He's kind of this grumpy, weird, sort of moralistic man who seems a little disgusted with kids. 
And then in this movie, when you meet young Willy Wonka, it's as you said, Madison, he's like very earnest and hopeful and dreamy. And um, honestly, when I watched this version, I kept thinking of him as this weird combination of like Santa Claus and a charismatic CEO and uh, it's interesting. kind of a dope, like a sweet dope. It's interesting that you describe him as a Santa figure and a CEO. I was watching this and I was thinking, I don't want to get all armchair psychologists on, on you, but I was like, Wonka is Dahl. Dahl is Wonka, right? <laughs> he is this kind of charismatic auteur, right? He builds these fantastical products in these kind of fantastical palace of pure imagination. Children mm-hmm. all around the world hoover them up greedily. He delights mm. in delighting them, but at the same time, he's kind of repulsed by some of their aspects and their desires and revolted by them and kind of <laughs> feels the need to, to punish them. Wants to teach them a lesson. He wants to teach them a lesson. That's quite the right. The book is just, you'll remember from the book, it's just like a series of parables. It's a series. You're dealing with greed. You're dealing with gluttony. You're dealing with sloth. Mm-hmm. He's going through child after child and eliminating them based on their their fatal flaw. And what you get at the end is Charlie. It's it's like Dante. It's, it, it's Dante's Inferno. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Each of the little sinners, they're led through this factory deeper and deeper, and each of yeah. these little sinners have their sins turned back on themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they, you know, they get to the center and they burst through the roof. They go up to to purgatory or wherever whatever happens at the end of the Divine Comedy. I want to ask you both about what you thought of the music. Well, I was fully surprised. <laughs> I don't know what I thought, but there's not a song in the trailer, Lila. <laughs> I know. I didn't realize it would be a musical either. I loved the music. I thought it was catchy. There was a lot of original music. I was thinking about my nieces and nephews getting that soundtrack and listening to it on repeat, and I found myself leaving and thinking. Hey, this credit song is like a pretty good song. <laughs> yeah, I thought the music was pretty pretty good, actually. It's written by Neil Hannon, actually, the, the music for this film, uh, who was in a band, The Divine Comedy. So there you go, back to Dante's Inferno. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny, right? There were some great lines in it. You've got to try these chocolates. They'll make your eyes pop out your socolates. Put your hands into your pocolates. <laughs> it's genius. Well, there's chocolate and there's chocolate. Only Wonkas makes your confidence skyrocket. Put your hand into your pocket. Get yourself some Wonka chocolate. Madam, just one kiss. Yes, please. <laughs> it's a kid's film after it's all. It's a kid's film, right? It's a kid's film. It's fun. <laughs> we forget. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. so we should. And what about Timothy Chalamet? Well, I thought it was an interesting choice that this teen heartthrob took on, like, the most sexless role of all time. <laughs> but... I always thought of Timothy Chalamet as this sort of like young, ironic kid. He's a the young... guy who would be smoking outside class, right? Like yeah, he's exactly. The kind of handsome degenerate. Trying to be bit. cool, kind exactly. of like trying to be a little above you. But then in the film, you're right. He was so earnest in the film. Did you disagree? No, I, no, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think he makes a pretty good fist of it. I think he's rather a fine actor. <laughs> And I think he's got very good comic timing. I'm not sure he's quite got the kind of movement or the chops for a big song and dance number. He's not well, really. Well, let's remember that this director is used to directing an animated bear, and does <laughs> and so Timothy with a plum. Yes, and Timothy was stepping into very specific blocking. But I, I thought he really shone the moments where I thought, "Oh, I understand why Timothy Chalamet is a movie star." Were the were the intimate moments where mm-hmm. it was. 
where it was close up on his face, he got to be a human. Mm -hmm. He got to kind of shine through the facade of the maniacal Wonka. Yeah. And in that way, I really, I I loved those parts. And that's where I found his casting to be the strongest. Yeah. I would love to move on to talk about how this fits into the Roald Dahl universe. Uh, We've talked a little bit about it, but Wonka is the 20th Roald Dahl film adaptation, and uh, we keep returning to him. This is a guy who made books that were dark and weird. Kids get eaten by giants, turned into blueberries, (laughs) flung around by their pigtails. And when we look back today, some of it has been deemed problematic. Uh, But it struck a chord with children around the world. They have sold more than 300 million copies worldwide. And I want to talk first about how we feel about the Roald Dahl universe. Uh, Madison, what about you? How do you feel about Roald Dahl? I think one thing that we take for granted is that kids are very macabre. Mm-hmm. And they will just say the quiet part out loud. Yeah. And Roald Dahl really spoke to that impulse and kind of gave, he kind of validated that kids could handle the gritty, weird, dirty stuff or they could understand like bizarre characterizations and their morals. Yeah. Like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a dark book. The kids <laughs> all almost die. Yeah. What about you, Nathan? I heard a rumor that you played Mike TV of the of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory what? fame uh, in a play. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Please say more. Were you a fan? Uh, yeah. What were your thoughts on Roald Dahl as a kid? Oh, well, I'll, I'll build up to my defining portrait of Mike TV. But <laughs> I uh, I absolutely loved Dahl and, and exactly what um, Madison was saying. When I was a kid, the other books we had in the house were like, Enid Blyton and Beatrix Potter and so much children's fiction. It's all a bit kind of Sunday school, right? But Dahl was completely different. Dahl is kind of cruel and Mm -hmm. uh, rude and funny. He was so Mm -hmm. funny. The the Twits is still, I think, one of the funniest books I've ever read. And, you know, that sense of the macabre, you know, people putting their glass eyes in beer glasses and feeding each other worms and tricking people into thinking they've got the shrinks. Like, mm-hmm. it, the, the the cruelty in Dahl really spoke to me as a child. That's what, that's what I think. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, there's this constant overarching sense of decency, right? Like that's the, absolutely correct. The yeah. hero always wins, and the hero is always the person who asks for the least, the person who yeah. does mm. the right thing, who shows kindness. And the kid like you, right? Like there, there is a sense to me that like, the books were all looking up from my angle, not like looking mm. down from an adult's angle. So, it was like, we're going to be gross. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. And like, you're doing great. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. just keep being good and being you and you'll be fine, even <laughs> despite these nasty, gross people mm. trying to keep you down. Yeah. How did you both feel that this film fit into that spirit? Well, his overarching thesis, right, is always hell is other people. <laughs> <laughs> not me, and your not world us. is just to yeah. navigate that. Um, and here's, I'm going to teach you a lesson because all these people who transgress, they'll get theirs. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in that way, the film rises to the occasion and that it's the good people who take care of each other, who have an honorable goal, mm-hmm. who will succeed in the end. And it's the villainous you know, consortium of evil capitalists and the police, the corrupt police officers who will will suffer in the end. Yeah. Yeah, the, the world was kind of Dahl-esque, right? I, de- I definitely thought that or had elements of it. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Wonka's too cuddly, right? Uh, and and <laughs> that's fine. That's, that's absolutely fine. Um, 
but he's, he's too little, hot. He's, he's, he's too pretty and too cuddly. Yeah. Let's move on to a bigger question, which is why does this film exist and should it? Um, if you look at this cynically, you can say that this film is packaging everything that's going on in Hollywood, maybe wrong with Hollywood right now. Uh, too many biopics, too many remakes and prequels, too many cool indie people like Greta Gerwig making commercial films like Barbie. Uh And this could be that like on steroids. This is kind of a Mad Libs of that. A remake of a book, a biopic of sorts, a prequel, cool indie, Timmy Chalamet. Uh, Does this bother us or do we not care? Nathan, what do you think? Uh, Well, it is way too good for it to not exist. Although I walk through the tube station sometimes and see that they've made another remake and I kind of pinch the bridge of my nose and think, Why? (laughs) What a waste of money and talent. Uh, This, however, was a kind of, this is a completely new movie, right? With with a completely new story and it's told uh, with wit and humour and skill. And Mm -hmm. if it gets people into the cinema, that's got to be better, right? This isn't just IP for IP's sake. This is kind of something else, I think. And it's Christmas, so why not? Yeah, yeah. In our Monday episode, our colleague Matt Vela said that Sometimes these films feel like they're mining our 80s and 90s childhoods to sell tickets. I didn't really feel, I mean, I, I'm sure it was in a way. And I, I, was, I walked in really wanting to be mad about it because it was going to do that. And I was tired of movies doing that. And I want original films and whatever. But I was within five minutes. Holy turned around. Yeah. I, I mean, I was- who grew up on the 70s, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and like wanted to recreate that experience? <laughs> what do you mean? That film was so traumatizing as a child. Like, I watching it again as an adult, I was like, oh, I understand Gene Wilder. Like, when you're a single person in your 30s and you have to deal with everyone else's children all the time, <laughs> you realize the extent to which they can test your patience and decency. And you really understand his kind of dry humor around <laughs> the violence that occurs to these children. But as a child, like, there's, like, just an onslaught to the senses. That film did not leave me with a overarching love for the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory franchise. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. May I suggest, Madison, yeah. that you did not see the 1999 version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at the Empire Theatre in Southend-on-Sea, because I think that would have... <laughs> the performance of Mike TV would have really changed your mind. Oh, this is your play. <laughs> well, Nathan, there's nothing that you have not successfully changed my mind on when you set your heart to it. So. Uh, also, if you could get us a VHS of that of that play, we would happily digitize it absolutely not nathan madison thank you so much we will be back in just a second for more or less welcome back to life and art this is more or less the part of the show where each guest says something they want more of or less of culturally nathan let's start with you what do you want less of i would like fewer perfume adverts on tv (laughs) It is Christmas time and they are on every other advert and they are all the same. They are joyless, humorless uh, bits of branded entertainment and they are all the same and they are all so stale. They're years and years old. They dig the same ones out. When did Charlize Theron walk out of that gold swimming pool? Who was who was the president when she first did that? Was it Bush? I feel I think it's I think Bush. it was Bush. I always thought of those as like trying to be quite sexy, no? Oh, they're dreadful. And the and the uh, Natalie Portman running off into the off the jetty. I just can't handle it anymore. I can't handle it anymore. 
Tim, Timmy's in one. Yeah, Timmy's in it's one. Timmy's in the, 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 the blur. Directed Chanel. by Scorsese. <laughs> that is not directed it by is. Scorsese. It that is. is not Hold dire- on. That is, it, what a shade of pale. Chalamet, Scorsese commercial for Chanel for Blue de Chanel. Excuse how me. would but how would we have Timothy Chalamet for this film if it weren't for perfume? It's five seconds long and it's and it's just nights in white satin and he's just looking at the camera. That's it. That's not even the worst one. There's the worst ones are the ones that have all this terrible kind of fake story attached to them. Okay, so um, fewer perfume ads, <laughs> Madison. What about you? I want less craft cocktails <laughs> and more. Seconded. <laughs> More nostalgia cocktails. Yeah. And did you know that there's this is a whole thing? So craft cocktails are like the reason that we've forgotten all about really great classic cocktails because there was so much pressure mm-hmm. on restaurants and bartenders to only feature originals on their menu. So there are hundreds of truly delightful cocktails that we have collectively forgotten about as a culture because we're like, we've just been inured and have gotten used to tinctures and smoked hazelnuts. <laughs> I just am really ready for like a cosmopolitan and I said it. Madison has just written a piece about the Cosmopolitan and the return of the Cosmopolitan in New York City. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, want more being bored. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Amen. Um, yeah. I ended up uh, writing a column this week about it because I recently realized how unfamiliar the feeling of boredom has become to me by turning my phone off for a couple of hours. And it really alarmed me. And uh, I got to do it more. So over the next week between Christmas and New Year's, go stare into space, go for a walk without your phone, go look at a painting for an hour, be bored. (laughs) Live like it's 1995. Yeah, go kick a rock. I wish I had time to be bored. I literally just said that, and that was my mother speaking in 1996. That was, I was channeling her. I've become my mother. Yeah, haven't we all? And on that note, Madison, Nathan... (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) This was so much fun. Thank you, Lila. Thank you very much. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. I highly recommend you check out the show notes. We have links to everything that we mentioned today there, and all the links to FT.com will get you past the paywall. In the show notes, we also have discount codes for a subscription to the Financial Times, and as always, ways to keep in touch with me and with the show on email, X, and Instagram. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and this is my talented team. Katya Kumkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Thank you for an incredible year. Have a very happy holiday and wonderful new year. And we'll find each other again on January 5th. In the meantime, we will be dropping some guest episodes on our feed.